Hi, I'm Jeff Sickinga, Executive Director of the Ashbrook Center, and this is The American Idea, coming to you from Peter Schramm's library in Ashland, Ohio. I want to welcome everybody to this episode of The American Idea. Today we're going to be talking about two documents, two thinkers, two presidents who profoundly shaped the course of the American idea in the 20th century and beyond. That's Woodrow Wilson in his speech, The Authors and Signers of the Declaration of Independence, and President Calvin Coolidge, his speech on the 150th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. And to join me in that conversation today, delighted to have with me an old friend and a friend of the Ashbrook Center and all of our student and teacher programs, Professor Jason Stevens, who is Professor of Political Science at Ashland University and also, as I said, deeply involved in Ashbrook's programs educating students, teachers, and citizens. Jason is a scholar of American political thought of the 19th and 20th century and, in fact, teaches student classes and programs for teachers on those very subjects. Jason, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. These two documents, I- I'm going to I'm going to just assert that a lot of our listeners, they've all heard of Woodrow Wilson. They've all heard of Calvin Coolidge. They, many of us probably have not heard of or read these two speeches. Why do you think these speeches, one from 1907 and one from 1926, why do you think these are so important for understanding the American idea? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that when you read these two speeches from these two presidents, what you get, you get two very different stories about America's past, America's Mm. principles, and where the country is going from here into the new 20th century, right? So what you see, I think, are two very different ideas expressed about what America is, Mm from these two, these, two, uh, these two presidents. So really competing um, ideas mm. of, about the meaning of the American idea. Tell us, to start with then, the context of the first document here. Mm. Uh, President Woodrow Wilson's speech, The Authors and Signers of the Declaration of Independence. It's given in 1907. Is Woodrow Wilson president? Uh, no, he is not president at this point. Uh, he is president, though, of Princeton uh, of Princeton at Aha, this point. Okay. Uh, later on, by I think 1910, he'll uh, he'll serve a, a portion of a term as governor of New Jersey before then being elected president of the United States in the election of 1912. So this is this is prior to his entrance into state politics, even into national politics. Uh, he's president of a college of Princeton at this point. And so he is giving a speech. It's a speech uh, in 1907. When in 1907? Yes, this is the July 4th speech. Okay. This is a July 4th, 1907 speech. Uh, he's speaking in Norfolk, Virginia at the Jamestown uh, Exposition. This, the purpose of the event, it was meant to be uh, to celebrate the 300th anniversary of the settlement of the Jamestown Colony. Right, so Jamestown, yeah. 1607, right. 1907. Sure. Wilson is is giving this speech at the uh, the Jamestown Exposition in celebration of of that. All right. So the speech itself, then. Yes. He he's in front of this crowd in Virginia, giving a speech on July fourth. He's going to talk about the authors and signers of the Declaration of Independence. Sounds like an appropriate July fourth uh, topic, really. Yes. Um, right on point. 
what's his understanding of why they're gathered? Because when I'm looking at this speech, what strikes me is something really interesting, which is his reflections on the purpose of the 4th of July and the 4th of July celebrations. Yes. So Wilson, a really interesting speech here, which Wilson himself will make sure gets published. He'll make sure it gets published a few months later in September of 1907. Okay, so he's really proud of this he's speech very and he wants proud the public of this to know and He this. wants people to know about this okay. because it really, I think, expresses the, the central idea of America, according to Woodrow Wilson. And that central idea is this is that every 4th of July should be an occasion not for coming together to remember our principles, but to come together to rewrite them. To rewrite them. Interesting. This very first, one of the very first opening lines of the speech, if I can read it, mm. Woodrow Wilson says, No doubt we are meant to have liberty. He just quotes, he quotes the Declaration of Independence and says, No doubt we are meant to have liberty, but each generation must form its own conception of what liberty is. Help us understand what he means by that. Yes. So uh, to understand what Wilson means by his criticism of the founders, we need to say something maybe about how the founders themselves understood their principles. Yes. Right. So the founders in the Declaration of Independence, in the first two paragraphs of the Declaration, the founders assert that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness that all human beings just by the virtue of being born of being human possess outside of government whether government exists or not they because they exist they possess certain natural rights that includes liberty pursuit of happiness life and others the founders tell us and therefore the purpose of government when it does come into existence is to protect those pre-existing natural rights on the basis of consent, right? So governments are formed, according to the founders, to protect natural rights on the basis of consent. That's the message, that's the, the principle of the American regime. That's the American idea we get from the first two paragraphs of the Declaration of Independence. Wilson, however, uh, and in a later speech, he's actually even much more explicit than the portion of this speech in 1907 that you read, uh, by 1911, uh, Wilson gives a, uh, a speech to the Thomas Jefferson Club in Los Angeles, California, where he comes right out and says, look, if you want to understand the real Declaration of Independence, skip the first two paragraphs. Hmm. Don't even read the first two paragraphs. The very, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, exactly. that sort of thing. Skip exactly. all that. Because the founders believed in a, a, a fixed ready-made understanding of, of human nature, right? That human beings by their very nature possess these unalienable rights. Wilson's belief is that's hogwash. That worked okay for during the founding and that the founders, right? It makes sense that they would believe that based upon their historical circumstances, right? That they were children of the enlightenment, for example. Mm -hmm. But Wilson says, right, we progressives now from our enlightened advantage at the dawn of the 20th century, we know better. We know that human nature is not something that is a historical or trans-historical, but human nature is something that is progressive, that changes and develops over time, which means liberty and our rights change and develop over time based upon the society in which we live, based upon the government under which we live. Um, it's, it's a much more 
uh, progressive understanding of the American mm. founding principles, whereas Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration, I think, gives us a much more anti-progressive view of these things. So um, the founders, as, as Wilson says, they, they, may, they believed in this fixed this idea of fixed principles, mm. the laws of nature and nature's God, yes. as the Declaration says, that give us fixed principles for government, fixed principles for our society, because they believed in things like the, 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 world, the fixed worldview of someone like Newton, hmm. Newtonian physics, and, and that view influenced their mind. Wilson, as you're, you're saying, thinks, no, no, that whole worldview is incorrect. It, the principles are not fixed. They change over time. Where does he, what has he found that on? What was, mm. What's the cause of his change in thinking on that? Yeah, that's a, another great question. Uh, the cause of his thinking on that point has to do with his understanding of history itself, right? And Wilson, to understand history, will go back to uh, the German idealists, especially Hegel uh, and other social thinkers like Charles Darwin, ah. to say... Human nature is not something that's fixed and ready-made, but something that develops and improves over time, right? So whereas, um, right, you ask the, the founders about, right, this question of human nature, um, they'll give you a very particular answer in the Declaration of Independence, and then that has consequences for understanding good and just government. So, for example, in Federalist 10, because uh, human beings, right, have a certain nature, right, then the purpose of government is to control and, and direct that nature and to prevent majority factions from forming that would destroy the rights of others, especially right. of the minorities. Um, Wilson says, yeah, that was a concern during the founding, the power of majority factions to be abusive. But now we have progressed so far since then that majorities no longer, we no longer need to fear their tyrannical impulses, because they don't have tyrannical impulses. In fact, huh. it's through being a member of the majority that right, uh, human beings will actually right, come into their, their, their own selves. They will be able to realize their own human nature as a member of what Wilson will call, and he wrote a whole book on this, the state. The state. So his thinking is deeply influenced by, as you say, the philosopher Hegel, but also Charles Darwin, and thinks... Human nature evolves, human nature changes, and human nature can be better than what the founders may have thought, and our rights and liberties change along with those conceptions, and we need to define that for ourselves today. And it's the responsibility of every generation to define what liberty means to them, which is why Wilson will say, yeah, that's the purpose of the 4th of July, for us to come together and write our new Declaration of Independence. So to the founders, for example, liberty might have meant government shouldn't interfere in your life on certain things. Like you have property, you should be able to possess your property and acquire property, and government really shouldn't be interfering in that unless you're harming someone else. Right. Wilson's view, in contrast, would be what? Yeah. Wilson's view, in contrast, will be that it's not the purpose of government to protect your pre-existing natural rights. In fact, for Wilson, there are no natural rights. Natural rights, is a, that, that's a pipe dream, hmm. right? That's why we need to read those first two paragraphs about natural rights out of the Declaration of Independence, because when you're so concerned and obsessed about protecting your natural rights, you're actually limiting the powers of society, limiting the powers of, of government, right, to such an extent, then that's 
the the state or society uh, cannot act in a, a powerful, influential way to help move history forward and to help develop human nature along right its evolutionary channel. So whereas the founders might have said liberty means governing yourself, mm-hmm. uh, not being interfered with unjustly by others or by government, I'm looking at a quote here from Wilson from this speech where he says, liberty consists in the best possible adjustment between the power of the government and the privilege of the individual. Mm-hmm. And only law can affect that adjust- adjustment. Yes. So it looks to there like he's saying indivi- government has power, individuals have privileges, not natural rights, and liberty is in that middle where they meet and they can work it out together. In other words, you don't start from the principles of liberty. You get to the principles of liberty by this government interaction with the individual. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, Wilson never talks about natural rights, except on those rare occasions when he does, it's, it's always to denounce the doctrine hmm. of natural rights. For Wilson, freedom is not something that right, exists outside of society or outside of government. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Because, yeah. because I want to, then, then this leads to the natural question, what's Wilson's alternative understanding hmm. of government and society? Yeah, another really good question, right? So for the founders, separation of powers, checks and balances in the Constitution, which is founded upon the philosophy and principles of the Declaration, right? Declaration, human beings have certain rights, and a just government will secure those rights on the basis of consent. The Constitution is about trying to create such a government founded on those principles of the Declaration. Okay, that's the founder's view. So you have separation of powers, checks and balances uh, built into the system um, in order to, because such a system, the founders believed, is the best one to cooperate with human nature, right, to secure the people's rights, secure justice, not trample on their rights. Um, and not trample on the rights of, of the minority. Um, but according to, to Wilson, um, those, that old way of thinking, uh, that was not a way of thinking that was permanent, that was based in a permanent understanding of, of human nature. We need to move beyond that understanding. Wilson always saw the separation of powers, the checks and balances system of the Constitution, as holding society back. That is what hmm. is keeping progress from happening, right? So instead of being the means to achieving justice, it has, the Constitution has now actually gotten in the way. And we need to rethink, right, our, our own Constitution, our own laws, in order to basically free government up to help move society forward. Give us, can you just give us one, that's really an interesting point. So he, want, he would want to say, for example, let's not keep the legislative power and the executive power so separated mm-hmm. as the founders were, didn't want them yeah. together because they were worried about the possibility of tyranny and violation of, of individual liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, give us an example from Wilson's presidency mm-hmm. or his career mm-hmm. where he said, yeah, we need to overcome these old ideas, and here's a particular policy or program that can do Right. When he finally runs for president in 1912, right, Wilson, his mantra, his campaign slogan was, was the new freedom, right? So every, everything, is, everything is new to the progressives. Uh, and not he, a new birth of freedom, as Lincoln not said. Not a new birth of freedom. But a birth of new freedoms. A birth of new freedoms. Okay. Right? And so Wilson, in his campaign speeches as president, which he also later made sure that he published and got out there to the Like a to good people. professor, right? Exactly. <laughs> the only president with a PhD, a PhD in, in politics. Um, maybe a, a good example of why professors shouldn't be president, <laughs> you see in Wilson. But 
uh, these speeches that he would give on the campaign trail, he, he would emphasize the point that you brought up earlier about Newton versus Darwin. Um, Wilson would talk about the separation of powers and say, look, it made sense that the founders came up with such a system because they were indebted to, right, Enlightenment thinkers and especially, right, to the older way of thinking about things, Newton, Wilson says, right? They were Newtonian in their political thought. But Wilson also says, we now know better. We progressives know better. We know that it's really Darwin who had it right, not Newton. We know that government is not a machine. And the founders, they treated government like this machine, right? You know, the different pieces checking and balancing each other mm -hmm. in order to somehow get justice out of this cacophony of different parts working together or working in opposition to each other. Wilson says, we now know government is not a machine. It's a living thing. And it's accountable not to Newton, but to Darwin. And no living thing can have its organs offset against each other and survive. So then he thought, for example, that there would be no problem if the executive, uh, under him as president, of course... Mm -hmm. um, That's always an important point, yes. right? <laughs> <laughs> it always turns out to be. But that the executive then could do things and should do things that previously people thought, no, you can't do that, that will violate some principle like separation of powers. Yeah, so Wilson envisions the president as really um, capturing the mind and soul of the American people because it's the president who is representative of all of them. He is the one who is charged with leading them. Uh, he is the leader of his party as well as the nation, right? We talk today after every presidential elections about, right, the president now has a mandate to institute his agenda. That's Wilson. Hmm. That goes back to Wilson. Because I won the election, that now means I represent the whole people, and now we're moving forward based upon my agenda. And isn't it true that would Wilson actually revive the the old pra the practice that had gone out of hmm. fashion for a long time of the president coming and giving the State of the Union address in person? That's exactly right. Yeah, for for you know almost since the beginning, it had always been delivered in writing to Congress every hmm. year. Wilson resurrects this this way of going about it where he would present his state of the union in person and because he thought the person of the president should have vast influence over the course of the country exactly and let's not worry about the technicalities of separation of powers right and the how wilson would talk about this when he would talk about the president presidency he'd say look the presidency can be as big as the man who occupies the office mm. And the bigger, the better. And the bigger, the better. Yeah, exactly. Ah, all right. Calvin Coolidge gives a speech hmm. 19 years later. Mm -hmm. he, he's president at the time. Mm -hmm. So he's occupying mm -hmm. this office that Woodrow Wilson had held. Mm -hmm. What's the importance of Coolidge's speech? Again, yeah. I think it's we've all heard of Calvin Coolidge, of course. Mm -hmm. And we know that Calvin and Coolidge and Woodrow Wilson were close to each other in, a, in the early 20th century, just in time. Mm -hmm but he seems to give a very different kind of 4th of July speech. Yes, yeah, so this this speech, this was part of uh, Coolidge's and before him Harding's attempt to return to normalcy. So this speech is delivered- After on, World War One. After World War One, right. Uh, and after Wilson also. Yeah. Um, so this speech is part of the 150th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, it's delivered at the uh, Cessa, Centennial um, International Exposition. 
Wow. Which was basically like at the time what we would call a, a World's Fair okay. sort of ordeal. Uh -huh. uh, a really massive event. More than 200,000 people show up uh, for the event. They have all sorts of, uh, of games and exhibits. There's something like an 80-foot-tall replica of the Statue of Liberty. There's a replica of the Liberty Bell with 26,000 lights. This was a really important occasion, and this was a really important speech at a very important time. All right. This, in the speech itself, then, by President Coolidge, in the middle of the, the decade we call the Roaring Twenties, mm -hmm. he takes a minute to reflect on um, the meaning of America. We sometimes think of Coolidge as being famous for saying the business of America is business. Mm. But here is here's a speech that's not about business. It's not about economics. It's about the Declaration of Independence, what it means, and what its principles are. Um, what You said that Woodrow Wilson thought Fourth of July is a time for us to come together to rethink not what's right about the founding, but what needs to be changed, as you said, to rewrite the founding. What does President Calvin Coolidge think the purpose of coming together on the 4th of July is? Yeah, this is another 4th of July speech. Coolidge delivers this, I think, on July 5th, 1926. Um, the reason for that is that I think in 1926, July 4th actually fell on a Sunday. So because of the Sabbath, he, he gave his speech mm -hmm. on July 5th. But like Wilson's speech on the author and signers of the Declaration of Independence, these are both 4th of July speeches. And I, I think you're exactly right. For Wilson, the purpose of the 4th of July was to come together to rewrite our principles or to think anew about our principles and change them according to the historical circumstances that we find ourselves in. According to Coolidge, no matter what historical circumstances we find ourselves in, a lot can change over the course of time, over the course of history. Society can become much more complex. We've made advancements in science and in medicine and in technology. But according to Coolidge, we cannot make any sort of advancement beyond those principles articulated by the founders in the Declaration of Independence. In particular, the first two paragraphs hmm. of the Declaration so of Independence. So where Woodrow Wilson said, ignore those first two principles, don't let them shackle your mind in old-fashioned thinking, Calvin Coolidge says, no, focus on those first two principles. Exactly. That, I mean, according to Wilson, the real Declaration of Independence had nothing to do with the first two principles. It was really in the list of grievances. But for Coolidge, no, the real Declaration, it's heart and it's soul, and therefore the heart and soul of America is found in the first two paragraphs of the Declaration. And he, I, I'm reading here from President Coolidge's speech, where he says, he says, in fact, our Declaration contained these immortal truths. Mm -hmm very different way of describing the principles of the Declaration than Woodrow Wilson. Right. So for Coolidge, it's not about coming together on the 4th of July to rewrite our principles or to rewrite the American idea, but to remember our principles, to remember the American idea and strive to live up to it in the present. What does that mean in Calvin Coolidge's mind for a modern 20th century government and society? Woodrow Wilson said society has evolved it's changed it's gotten so much more complex in the 20th century than the simple days of 1776 our our principles need to evolve and change with that our understanding of government needs to evolve and change with that that's what he argues calvin coolidge 
What's his response to that? Yeah. Calvin Coolidge. Calvin Coolidge was a progressive, but a lowercase p progressive. Oh, okay. What does that mean? He understood, in other words, that we have made a great deal of progress in many areas of human life. Right, as I mentioned before, in technology, in medicine, uh, in, in our circumstances, right? We are now the, the freest, most prosperous people the, the world has ever seen. Right, now we have automobiles in the 20th century, in the yep. 1920s. We have washing machines, mm -hmm. we have radios, we mm -hmm. have all this new stuff. But according to Coolidge, the cause of that great prosperity, the cause of that great empire of freedom, lies in our original principles bequeathed to us by the founding generation in the immortal Declaration of Independence. The cause, all the prosperity that we see around it, that cause is rooted in those unchanging immortal principles of liberty and equality, according to Coolidge. And so, as he says in the speech, we may make progress in a lot of different ways in life, and that's a good thing. Um, as governor of Massachusetts, uh, Coolidge uh, was much more willing to be ex experimental, seeing the states as, a, as experiments of democracy. So, for instance, uh, he supports uh, right child labor laws. He supports a lot of proposals that Wilson and the progressives would have supported. But at the national level, it was, it was a different story mm. for Coolidge. Um, he was not authorized as president to, to sort of take those, those risks at the, the national level. Because he level. believed in the founding principle of federalism. Exactly the, right. The states have certain powers, the federal government has limited enumerated powers, and if its power is not given to the federal government, it shouldn't change its understanding of its powers so it can do something. And no matter what kind of advancement or progress society makes, right, that principle of, of federalism, of liberty, of equality, those principles do not change. Let me read this paragraph from President Coolidge's speech here where he says precisely what you just said. He says, about the Declaration, there is a finality that is exceedingly restful. It is often asserted that the world has made a great deal of progress since 1776, that we have had new thoughts and new experiences which has given us a great advance over the people of that day, and that we may therefore very well discard their conclusions for something more modern. That's exactly what Woodrow Wilson said, right? Okay, he says, people are saying this, he's aware of that. He says, but that reasoning cannot be applied to this great charter, the Declaration. If all men are created equal, that is final. If they are endowed with inalienable rights, that is final. If, government derives, if governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed, that is final. No advance, no progress can be made beyond these propositions. If anyone wishes to deny their truth or their soundness, the only direction in which he can proceed historically is not forward, but backward, toward the time when there was no equality, no rights of the individual, no rule of the people. Those who wish to proceed in that direction cannot lay claim to progress. They are reactionary. Their ideas are not more modern, but more ancient than those of the Revolutionary Fathers. What's his criticism here of Woodrow Wilson's progressive thinking? Mm -hmm. He never mentions Wilson by name, but this is Calvin Coolidge uh, in 1926, right? In the, in the age of the, the progressives, the, the heart of the progressive movement, this is President Calvin Coolidge, right? Standing athwart history saying, stop, halt, right? Remember who you are as Americans. Remember what it means to be an American. 
And in order to do that, Coolidge directs our attention to the first two paragraphs of the Declaration. We shouldn't be reading those principles out of the Declaration, but constantly reminding ourselves of them, because in those principles we find ourselves, we find what it means to be an American. We can make progress on the basis of those principles. Why does he say, though, that those who wish to proceed by, by going away from the Declaration's principles, why, do you say, why does he say they cannot clay, lay claim to progress, they are reactionary? Yeah, because no progress, as he says, right, no progress can be made beyond these principles. If all men are created equal, that is final. If governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed, that is final. And no if we, so if we abandon that principle, for example, government rests on the consent of the governed, is Coolidge saying, then what would the alternative be? Government rests on the right of, of, of aristocrats to rule us, or in the case of progressives, experts to the rule right us? The right of the strongest, the right of the experts, the right of right, simple majorities, regardless of, of principles of permanent, unchanging justice. Yeah, in other words, it's going back to the old ways. It's going back to what Coolidge in another place called the law of the jungle, which basically was just another way of saying going back to the ancient ways of the divine right of kings. Hmm. So we're, if we get rid of these fixed principles of justice from the founding, we are going to be subject, according to Coolidge, to whoever's got the majority, who's mm -hmm. ever got the political power in society, whoever's got the expert rule in administration, whatever it happens to be, will be subject to their authority, not the people subject to their own authority. That's, that is what happens inevitably when you jettison the doctrine of natural rights. Without natural rights, right, without that principle, then yeah, it is simply government is the rule of the stronger or the rule of the expert, not government of, by, and for the people. So what Wilson wants to argue, the only way to make progress is to move beyond the principles of the founding. Mm -hmm. Coolidge wants to argue, you're saying, the only way to make progress is to stay true to the principles of the founding. That's exactly right. Exactly right. As he said, right, we have made a lot of progress since 1776. A lot has changed. Yeah, and, and our society has gotten more complex. But with that complexity has come a greater sphere of freedom, greater prosperity economically, spiritually. And all of that is due to us remaining true to our original founding principles, not abandoning them, hmm. right, but remembering them. So he would say, for example... If, to take the example of liberty that we gave when we were talking about Woodrow Wilson, he would say, we've made a lot of material progress, economic progress in this country, Coolidge would say, because we've respected the right of individuals to create wealth, and we have not interfered with that. Mm -hmm. And that this social prosperity comes from individuals who start businesses, employ people, create jobs, and, and create wealth. That's the cause of our prosperity. It's adhering to those old principles of liberty and property, for example, mm -hmm. not moving beyond those to some other principle. Yeah, and so Coolidge will say, if, if you really care about real progress, right, you must remain a student of the American founding. Hmm. Right? You must remain dedicated to the original American idea, not some new progressive, capital P, progressive Wilsonian understanding of the American idea, which is founded upon rewriting American history and rewriting American principles. These two are obviously, without naming each other, 
they're having a debate. <laughs> and they are having a debate about on right two fundamentally different positions that are just uh, completely incompatible. How important is this debate for the rest of, of, of the 20th century in America and beyond? In many ways, you will see this debate continuing throughout the 20th and early 21st century. Right? You have this debate involved in the, uh, the era of the Great Depression and the New Deal and Franklin Delano Roosevelt. You see it reemerge in the Great Society of LBJ. Uh, you see it, I think, in the early 20th century today. In many ways, this debate is still with us. How do we and how ought we to understand ourselves? What is the American idea? Is it something that right, was bequeathed to us by the American founders? Or is it something that each generation must determine for itself? If the latter, right, that's Woody Wilson, right? He's mm-hmm. still with us. If the former, that is silent Cal Coolidge, who, as it turns out, still has an awful lot to say. Jason, fascinating. Thank you very much. These documents, turns out they're really important for understanding the debate that, as you say, we're still living with. We're still trying to understand and still having this discussion over the meaning of the American idea. And this has been a great opportunity for us to understand more deeply the source of this debate and discussion that we continue to have here with the speeches of President Woodrow Wilson and President Calvin Coolidge. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The American Idea, a production of the Ashbrook Center. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice. Subscribe for more at ashbrook.org slash American Idea Pod and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at AM Idea Podcast. From the SRAM Library in Ashland, Ohio, I'm Jeff Sickett.